0: Coming back is a listener supported podcast. To support the show and get exclusive access to podcast swag, giveaways, private grief hangouts and more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Grief Growers, I am also setting sail on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise. To join me and a boatload of other grieving hearts as we travel to Haiti, Jamaica, and Mexico, go to www.comingbackcruise.com, where you can sign up to receive more information on the cruise's sail dates, grief presenters, and onboard activities. I'll see you on the open seas. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, I'm talking to Peggy Langenwalter and and Trish Comer, two-thirds of the three-part Wonder Widows, a group of women empowering women to break the silence of widowhood. Also on the show today, I'm talking about how important it is to find your people when you're grieving. I'm Shelby Frisathia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of coming back. Thank you so much for listening today. This week is a first in coming back history because the interview I'm airing in just a little bit is my first interview with two people sitting on the other end of the microphone. Trish and Peggy and I all had so much fun and shared some incredible stories and I cannot wait to share our interview with you today. My conversation with Trish and Peggy reminded me how important it is in grief to find your people. I know that finding your people, like going on the search for someone or something or support or a network is kind of one of the last things that we want to do while we're grieving because the the process of grieving, doing the work of grief is already exhausting as is, but there is so much connection and reward and support and reassurance to be found in finding our people. So on today's show, you'll hear Trish and Peggy talk about how neat it was to find each other as well as to find their third member of Wonder Widows, whose name is Jennifer, and how they literally all sat around a table together and talked about what it was like to be a widow in the aftermath of their husband's deaths. In doing that, they validated that each of the other's grief journeys were real and reminded them that they weren't going crazy, they were just grieving. And I think that that kind of listening and validating is so vital in the process of coming back. If you're looking for your people in the aftermath of a devastating loss, whether that loss is a death, a divorce, a diagnosis, I encourage you to join me and so many other listeners of this show in my private Facebook group called the Grief Growers Garden. It's a place online to share memories like photos and stories. But it's also a place to ask questions you're afraid to ask anywhere else or of anyone else. And to get validation that no, you're not going insane. You are grieving, you're going through the grief process, your life has irreversibly changed and is changing. And the grief growers garden is a place that I've created on Facebook online, it's a beautiful corner of the internet, where you can start to put down roots again, you can start to have these conversations. I absolutely love everyone who's a part of the group. And it truly is a digital round table of sorts for coming back from the hardest moments of our lives. If you'd like additional support or would like to share some grief stories and questions face to face, I encourage you to join me for my next live Google Hangout. It's taking place less than a week from today on Monday, October 22nd at 8 o'clock PM Central Time. I'll be logging on and sending you the link to join me for a full hour for a discussion on grief and to answer your questions on grief and loss. This Google Hangout is open to everyone who's a supporter on Patreon of this podcast, who has pledged at least a dollar a month or more to support the show. So go over to patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia to make your pledge and you can join us on Monday. What's cool about Patreon is you can literally pledge the day of like minutes before the broadcast and still access the link to join us live. And I really hope you will. It's kind of, think of it like a once a month booster that strengthens that find your people mentality and puts you in touch not only with me, but with the other grieving hearts who are walking this road to coming back. And of course, you can always find the link to pledge on Patreon and join us live in the show notes. Who are your people, grief growers, who is supporting you and watching you and walking beside you in your coming back? Just a question to think on this week. Up next, my interview with Peggy Langenwalter and Trish Comer, a.k.a. The Wonder Widows. Trish Comer and Peggy Langenwalter are two-thirds of the three-part group known as the Wonder Widows, three women who have come together to break the silence of widowhood. Trish is a holistic practitioner and instructor for over 35 years, and Peggy is a massage therapist and essential oils instructor. After each of their husbands died, they came together to share tears and stories and recognize that there was so much about widowhood that the rest of the world leaves unspoken. Trish and Peggy said, when the friends and family are gone, and when the flowers all dry up, what then? The question was the start of their soon-to-be public book called Wonder Widows, three grieving widows coming together to empower women to break the silence of widowhood. You can subscribe to receive email updates about the book at wonderwidows.com. Well, Grief Growers, I am so excited to welcome Trish and Peggy onto the show today. They're also known as the Wonder Widows, and they will be coming with me on the bereavement cruise in March of next year. And I'm so excited because already before we've gotten on the mic today, we have had a ton of laughs. We've already had a couple of tears, and as we all know here on Coming Back, it's not a real interview unless we've both laughed and cried. Um so Peggy and Trish, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Shelby. Thank you, Shelby.
0: Yes, and I am so excited. We're going to start off where we start off every single one of our interviews here on Coming Back, and I will ask uh, Peggy to go first to share your lost story and then Trish uh, immediately after, and if you could identify yourselves voice-wise when you come on and tell your story, that would be great for all of our listeners as well.
1: Okay, that sounds great. This is Peggy and Shelby to prepare for this podcast I did write down my story and I'm going to read it because I think that will help me stay on track and I can keep myself together and get through it all. Perfect. I did not know why I was reluctant to leave on a long scheduled business trip. My heart felt an intuitive tug as I put my suitcase in the trunk of my car and headed to the airport. Two days later, while still out of state, I received the phone call no one wants to receive. Mom, we're at the hospital with Dad, and it's serious. I've arranged for you to be on the earliest flight home in the morning. So began the next chapter of my life, as we like to neatly explain the difficult task of grieving and living life as fully as possible with a tattered heart. Dan had been hale and hearty when I left home. He had received an outstanding report from his doctor at his well-patient annual checkup only eight days before. We had plans for a nice dinner out when I returned the next afternoon. Instead, two of our grown sons met me at the airport on my return, one on each side, protecting me. They escorted me through baggage claim and to my car. One drove my car and me to the trauma hospital, and the other met us as we arrived. The attending doctor took us immediately into a small room and showed us x-rays of Dan's brain. It had suffered greatly in the accidental fall off a ladder. There was no hope of recovery. Finally, we were escorted down the hall to the room where my big, strong husband lay, hooked up to a ventilator that kept him barely alive until I could be with him and until our son who was in the Navy could be flown in by the Red Cross. I climbed up into the bed with my husband of 42 years. I wove my fingers into his and scooted as close as I could. I put the palm of my other hand on the chest I knew so well. I knew I must imprint the feel of his chest hair on my palm in my memory because this would be the last time I would have my hand on the chest of the man I deeply loved. It was time to do what had to be done. Notify family and friends and donate all qualified organs.
2: I'd like to make a comment on that too. Um, This is Trish. That essentially that's an excerpt from our forthcoming book, uh, Wonder Widows, uh, Three Widows Coming Together to Empower Women to Break the Silence of Widowhood. And um, I, I I get choked up just hearing you say that, Peggy. I mean, I've worked with you now for quite some time, but that still gets me too. So. It's
0: hard to get through. <laughs> yes, and it's a short picture of what is a very, very powerful moment and then, you know, still carries with it an aftermath. You have the hours, the days, the weeks, the months, the years that happen after so, yeah, uh, very fitting to to condense that all into a story, but I'm excited uh, to get into the rest of our interview, too, that talks about what happens next. Yes, yeah, so, Trish, would you be so kind as to share your story with us as well? Sure, sure, I'd love to. Um,
2: it was uh, two days just before our 36th wedding anniversary. Uh, my husband had uh, started to complain of, of intense stomach pain And to the point where he asked me to take him to urgent care, which was, you know, quite an unusual move for my husband, who seemed to bear pain quite well. And so we got there and there was no, um, you know, there was just a few tests and it was an ulcer and so forth. But it was probably the biggest roller coaster of my life, because two months and three weeks later, he was dead. And. That was just an an incredible time frame for me at that point. It was I, I didn't even know I was really preparing for this at the onset of him becoming ill. We were still looking at the possibility of getting to Mayo Clinic with the appointments that we had set to really be able to determine what was going on so we could at least have some type of diagnosis and perhaps a treatment plan. But I never did give up hope. For finding that cause, but yet this is the interesting side of that. Intuitively, I felt that I was actually preparing for him to leave. So there was like two sides of myself. One side said, "Oh no, no, no! Let's just keep moving forward. Let's try to find the diagnosis. Let's try to find something to help him." And then the other side of me is saying, "Yeah, but I think he's getting ready to leave." It was an odd moment, um, and this happened quite a bit during that time frame. But it was, however, it was during his first full day in ICU, which, by the way, was his second hospital visit by now, that I was standing beside him. Um, he was in the bed, and I was holding his hand, and he commented on how pretty my new blouse was. And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. You know? <laughs> and I said, I told him, I says, I bought the new blouse. So I had some lighter weight clothes to take with me to Scottsdale, Arizona, where the Mayo Clinic was located. I just wanted to make sure I had a couple new things and it was easy wash and wear. All of this was still in the planning stages of getting him to Mayo Clinic. And uh and then all of a sudden, I had this feeling it came over me again. I didn't think we were going to make it there. And then he tried to wipe away my tears because then I started to begin to cry. And uh and he says to me, looks up at me, he says, I don't want to see you suffer any longer. Listen. My God, in a way, I felt like it was like he knew in his own way that he didn't want to see me suffer. And he knew that he was getting closer to that time. Still, no diagnosis, you know, so it was just the most oddest moment. And then I fought back from all of those tears I had uh, to look at him and said, I says, have you ever been to the other side? Have you gone there? Because I've heard of stories, you know, of people actually going there and not staying, but going, you know, and visiting that place. And he, said, he looked right at me and says, yes, I have. I thought, oh, okay. I says, what did, it, what did it look like to you? What happened? Yeah. And he goes, well, it just looks a lot like here. It's just crisper, brighter, more distinct. And I thought, okay, that was a good question. He gave me a good response. And I thought, okay. I says, well, my next question was Have you talked to anybody over there? I have also heard stories about that, you know, when they meet relatives or they've met a good friend or something, you know, somebody they know, you know. And um, he says, No, no, I haven't. And I thought, oh, it's not quite time you know and i thought good <laughs> you know that was that was like okay we still got some time left here you know let's try to figure this out let's get it you know going and we can find some type of treatment you know for him so then um uh, and all of a sudden he just looked straight ahead in the bath and he says do you see that beautiful yellow butterfly at the foot of my bath and i you know knowing that symbolically a yellow butterfly can often mean a sign of transition and uh, of course, I couldn't see it, you know, but I didn't tell him I couldn't. You know, I mean, I felt like I needed to go along with, yes, honey, I do. You know, and it was just something I felt like I needed to do. You know, I didn't want him to go, why not, you know, or something. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, that that's how that worked out. And that, um, of course, I, I knew in that moment that we were both preparing for separate journeys, albeit very different journeys and um and eight days later you left this world you know it was just like that
0: that's so incredible and i'm i'm drawing first of all thank you both for sharing your stories i want to take a second before we get into any of the rest of our interview and just take a moment to say the names of your respective partners and describe who they were to you in life. Because I think uh, for a bit of grief, for much of grief, we focus on the ending and not necessarily who our loved ones were to us in life and maybe the things they gave us and the things they taught us or the things that, um, that made us laugh. So for each of you, I would love to know more about each of your partners.
1: Wow. Peggy, you want to go first?
0: <laughs> On the spot. <laughs> you first, you first.
1: <laughs> All right. That's, that's, that's tough. I, you know, the emotions are just welling up. And, whew. Okay. Um, uh, my husband's name is Dan Langenwalter. And I met him when I was 18, and he, was, he had just turned 23. And two months after we met, we got married. Um, we just felt like it was the right thing to do, although it scared our parents. Um, I was not quite nineteen when we did get married, and so we I grew up with him, you know we grew up together uh, from that point on, and he became my best confidant, my most understanding friend, my person that was in every thought I had, every decision I made, there was a little bit of Dan in there, like, how will this affect him? Or we're gonna enjoy this. And eventually we had three sons, um, who all share a lot of characteristics <laughs> of their dad. So that's all fun and it's also a little bit of a reminder that their dad's not here. So it's an, an interesting thing to deal with my sons. And um he was a grandpa to our two grandchildren that we had at the time. Um, he was, of course, like you um, we discussed Shelby before we start recording. you know, I knew when Tan died, and well, there goes my sex life. That <laughs> was that. Um, uh, he's, you know, the man I had known for all these years, for 42 years, and uh, everything in life has changed without him I've taken on not only the tasks you know when we when we're, in a, when we're in a partnership we slowly but surely start to adopt roles that one of us is stronger at or um, better at and um, so over the years my role had become looks like one picture Dan's role was another picture and together we were really happy and we were compatible and, and all that so now that Dan's gone, I have to be taking care of all of my stuff and all of his stuff. And that's sometimes very exhausting to keep it all going. And I've really worked hard to, or I tell myself that I'm doing this, simplify my life and give myself permission to not do everything um, that combined was taken care of with the two of us working at it, you know, working at our life together. Um, So, yeah, he was my everything, and I miss him every moment. So Trish is reminding me that um, this was a long-time partnership. It was 42 years that we had been together. And, you know, the saying that a couple shall grow as one, I think over time we do start to form one entity. We're made up, it's made up of two individuals, but we become one very visible entity. And uh, I had a saying, which I think ended up in the book, that um, we spend a lot of years learning how to get along together, and then we have to spend a whole lot of years learning how to live without the other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Trish, can we bump over to you?
2: Oh, of course. Um, my uh, husband, and it's funny, I had it written out in my portion to talk about Bob this, Bob that. <laughs> that. Uh, I didn't even reference his name, and I realized that about three-quarters of the way through I was when I was reading it. Or, or not reading, I wasn't reading. I was just mm-hmm. talking about it. <clears throat> but I looked back on my notes, I could see his name there. Um, but anyway, yes, his name is Bob. And... Uh, he's been the rock of my life. And he was my best friend, my lover, father of my children, grandfather to our pestle of grandchildren. And we were married for 36 years. Um, you know, he was just taken away so young in life. He was, um, he was just shy of his 61st birthday. So it, it, to me, it was just like, wow, you know, you set all this time aside to, you know, over the years and you plan, mm-hmm. you know, for your second half of life. Mm-hmm. And we were in the throes of just getting that going. We started a nonprofit together. as a Neighbor Helping Neighbor project. And, you know, we combined our skill levels of the things from human services and other areas, you know, that we came together on. Uh, We did meet at a social service, youth service bureau, you know, when we first met, I was doing some training for the volunteers and he was doing an internship there. And, uh, you know, so I see this strapping, you know, six foot three, you know, very handsome tall, you know, man and caught my attention immediately. Oh, I knew as soon as I saw him, he was my soulmate. You know, there was no doubt about it. And I knew there was a reason that we needed to be together, you know, but I just, if I think, think back on it, if I had ever thought about would I have uh, married him if I had known that eventually someday he was going to be taken away from me? That's interesting. I've asked myself the same question. I don't think I would have. You know, because I wanted. To, I think what I would have done was avoid the heartache. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, you know, as it's always told, that you, you can't love without losing, mm-hmm. you know, someone too. And that's a part of the risk we all take. Mm-hmm. But I think when I was 22 years old, I would have said, I uh, don't think so. <laughs> I
0: mean, yeah. No, thank you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we don't want to go there. You know, because you, you're, you're invincible at 22. Yeah. You know, you're still thinking that you can do anything and do everything. You know? And you don't think about death ever, you know, popping into the equation. You know, I think I learned more about our relationship after he had passed away um, than I ever understood while he was here with me in this in this physical plane you know so um but he was definitely my rock my mother uh passed away or was getting ready to pass away just a year and some months before he did and this is back in the chicago area and i can recall that mom wasn't going to get better you now she um she was going to need required dialysis and this wasn't going to be easy on her at all, and it was more complicated than it sounds the way I'm making it sound, but I found myself you know going he stayed back in New Mexico while I was in Chicago dealing with this with my sister and my dad was there and um, and I just remember calling him up so many times uh, during the day. I think I talked to him three or four times a day, you know just for him to help me maintain a perspective of trying to prepare not just my family and my mother, but myself to let go of my mom. Mm -hmm. And he did such a wonderful job with me and he handled me so well that it was so interesting was because I kept hearing a lot of what he had told me just a year or so before when it came time to let him go.
1: Wow. Yeah. You know, Shelby, this is Peggy again. I think a lot of times we'll find that deaths don't happen just one, and then you get a chance to do proper grieving and catch your breath. Ah, uh, Dan's death was the fourth within 10 months, the fourth serious death for me within 10 months. And he was helping me through the others, like Bob had been helping Trish with her mother's passing and um, boy, to not have that steady rock to then help me through the worst uh, death was really difficult. Very, very challenging.
0: Yes. There's something that comes up a lot um, in the grief recovery method, especially with there's, they classify relationships in two ways. They do relationships with loved ones and they do relationships with, uh, loved ones that that need to be mended or have some kind of reparations that didn't end well essentially or there was hardship or some kind of abuse or things like that and and with loved ones it seems there's always this feeling of reaching out for someone who's always been there for you they've been the rock they've been the study they've been the everything and when you go to reach out again they're not there and so that that consistent reliability that you've come to depend on is gone in an instant and that in itself is a whole different type of grief and a different type of loss. Not only are they not physically there, but you can no longer depend on them for anything going forward or anything going backwards and in your case where it's been 10 months leading up to this and you're still actively grieving things when when he's gone. Um so yeah, just acknowledging how hard that is. And I say all the time, uh, a lot of times in my written work and on coming back to that grief does not exist in a vacuum. You don't you get that perfect package, you know, I have lost something and then I take time to grieve and then life goes back to normal. It's I lose something in the crap storm of things that's already happening in my life. And so I have to manage to juggle this along with everything else. We, um, we are
1: shaking our heads mm-hmm. vigorously. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, we are. We
2: all are. Sure.
0: And, it's, yeah. and it's, it's, it's just the, the hardest place to be because grief is not, grief doesn't care about convenience. It doesn't oh. give a damn about convenience. <laughs> no, no, no. It does not. There is no time when we're, when we're ready to experience loss Um, I wrote down while both of you were talking, uh, strangely, but not strangely, because we're all intuitive creatures here. Both of you actually used the word intuition when you were telling your stories. And I want to talk about the role that intuition has played in these first days of grief or even in loss. And then as you went into your grieving process how did intuition manifest itself for you as like gut feelings or even Trish with you knowing, yeah, we're not going to make it that far uh, in the process or or just these, these inner knowings. Because I think a thing that people struggle with a lot with grief is they have never tapped into their intuition in the first place. Or when grief happens, all of a sudden, they don't trust it anymore, because it has somehow brought about the worst thing that has ever happened to them. Um, and so, all of a sudden, there's this disconnection or a distrust in this this gut feeling again. So I kind of want to know what role intuition played in both of your, your losses.
2: Um, this is Trish and um, intuition has always been a major part of my life. And I've always associated intuition with, and there's so many different ways of saying this, your higher self. Uh, it, you know, it, it's associated with uh, my spiritual side. And so when I'm calm or quiet or I need to hear it, it appears. And, and so intuition has always played a major role in my life. I've, you know, I'm, I'm an intuitive. I can just say it right out loud. That's that's exactly what I am. Um, And then that's why that was such a, a, there was two sides to my grieving. There was always two sides to me letting go of mom. Um, There was the side of me that said, oh my God, I can't let him go. There's got to be a solution here. There's got to be a fix. There's got to be something we can do. We've got to find this diagnosis. There's got to be something in this day and age that can save his life. And there was the exhaustive moments of running him to one doctor, to another doctor, to a blood draw, to you know all these different things that I was having to take care of. Um, and at the same time, you know, be with him at home, hold him in my arms, give him my love and to, you know, to try and say, why, what is going on here? Because my intuition was saying, listen to what he has to say. You know, he's got a lot to be saying, but he was a quiet, very private man. And so he wasn't going to tell me too much. So my intuition was working on overdrive through this whole process, you know, show me what to do, tell me what to do. And, and at the same time, you know, I was saying like in the hospital when I knew, and when I talked about that story, when I, when he was in the bed in the hospital in the ICU, when he was talking to me, knowing that we were both, go, both going on separate journeys, new ones, there was a peace. I didn't talk about this before but there was an intuitive peace that came over me. There was a side that knew, you know, my intuition knew that this was all in divine order. Now I couldn't have told you why at the time I just knew it. And the, the feeling I had at that moment was this, this, it was a calm, deep sense of peace. In such a sharp contrast to the emotions that I was experiencing, the crying, you know, going to bed alone at night, you know, while I was in the hospital, crying myself to sleep, um, you know, and, and running around like a, a crazy woman, so to speak, <laughs> trying to figure out saving my husband's life. You know, I mean, there was that side too. And doing all you could do. And I was exhausted. Absolutely exhausted from that. But what gave me the strength was the peace of knowing that it was all in divine order. I knew I needed to trust in the process, and I knew I was going to be okay, and I knew all was going to be well. So it was a juggling act, it was a balancing act, I guess you could say more than a juggling act. So I, anyway, I, that's where I had to learn and to give myself permission to feel both mm-hmm. and not to shut one out in, in, you know, in relation to the other or favor the other. I knew I needed to allow both to occur.
0: That was very well said.
1: And this is Peggy. And a lot of... As Trish is talking, I'm shaking my head in agreement because our details are different. And she, although it seems like two months was a very short time to prepare for your husband's death, I had zero, I had minus time. Um, But as I was packing to leave town on that business trip, I got intuitive messages that I was going to be a widow and I found myself... I described this in the book. I found myself talking out loud um, to nobody um, as I was finishing up packing about, well, what would happen if Dan were to die? And I was saying out loud, well, I'd be a widow. And I even got intuitive visions of how it would happen. And then I tried to push that out of my mind because I didn't want it to happen. I pushed it out of my mind by thinking, "Oh, great. Well, at least I have 20 more years before I have to before this really happens." And um I guess in some ways it there was also this peace. I mean, I didn't feel a panic at all when I was getting these messages. And I um felt calm and I did not get another message that told me to contact Dan and warn him not to do what I was seeing. It was going to be this, like, it was going to be all right. I was going to survive. So in some ways, that has helped me to tap into that through this time, saying, well, it wasn't totally a surprise and a shock, although there was plenty of that. Um, I did have that little bit of forewarning for a few minutes.
2: Right. And, and this is Trisha again too. And, you know, speaking of that intuition that Peggy described uh, before she left for her business trip, um, you know, preceding Dan's passing, uh, I had several things that occurred, too, you know, that I said, oh, my God, thank God, I just feel like I'm, I'm a widow, yeah. you know, uh, already taking care of household chores that needed to be taken care of uh, before my sister and my dad arrived. Uh, from Chicago. Um, but he, Bob was still alive. Bob was hospital. still alive, but you no, know, it was actually, he was still at home. Oh, he was still at home. Yeah, but he was, you know, kind of staying on the couch, mm-hmm. you know, during the day, napping, you know, in and out. And I had discovered a leak in the, um, in the wall, you know, and I was cleaning up the guest room and getting it ready. And realizing that it was a plaster, we have an older house, it's a plaster wall. Fortunately, I can plaster, but I'm in there plastering in the bedroom in coats and coats, and I'm going outside and doing the restock up. And I thought to myself, God, you know, I just feel like a widow. And then I, you know, I was like, Nah, you know, put that out of the mind. Yeah. And um, and I have to, I have to share this too, if I can, is that uh, my 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 dad and my sister arrived from Chicago the day they did, and on our way to the train to pick up my my relatives, um, we got a call from his gastro doctor or you know, uh, for his stomach problems. And he says, I think we found the problem. He says, we think it's autoimmune pancreatitis. And there was a sudden relief that came over us at that moment because that was treatable with steroids. And, uh, so we went to the train feeling a lot more joyous and a lot more upbeat than we had felt you know, previous to that moment. And I was leaving the bathroom with my sister in the restaurants. We all went out to for dinner that night. And as I was leaving uh, the bathroom with her, I said, God, for a moment there, Allison, I thought it was going to be a widow. And, you know, and these things kept occurring. I mean, they were just like all over the place. And, you know, and Peggy and I both address this in the book as well, you know, and how that was so profound for us, even though we didn't really want to believe it. Mm-hmm you know that's the thing we didn't want to believe that that was possible
1: this is peggy we both have a lot of experience through the years with intuition (laughs) and i've never had my intuition lead me astray but with that one i was doing my best to push it back as far as i Mm -hmm. could (laughs)
0: exactly because that'll piss you off that'll make you angry like no i don't want to think about that i don't want that to be my life how dare you <laughs> like, i just thought, well, how dare you imply thought- that that's even a possibility? <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I thought it was pretty nice that I was being given this, or I was trying to make it so, I was trying to make it so that I was getting a nice 20-year warning. Yes. <laughs> and I could, you know, really dig in and appreciate and make sure he knew every little thing. And luckily, for both Trish and I, I'm always reminding us we are the lucky ones because there was no malintent. You know, it wasn't a horrific thing. Our husbands didn't die anymore. There wasn't, you know, some terrible um, emotional feeling toward them that caused this death. Um, still, it's pretty painful, and the loss is great.
2: And I will say this, too, that this is Trish again, with the grief part of it, uh, after Bob had passed away, I was so involved in my grief that mm-hmm. I did not – receive or pick up on any intuition when my f- got I got the phone call in the morning from my sister back in Chicago this is four and a half months after Bob had passed away she calls me up and she says and with tears I could tell then I knew but I didn't hear it I didn't feel it coming but mm-hmm. my dad passed away that night peacefully in his sleep And I was just devastated. I just thought to myself, how in the world am I going to handle this? I said, you know, I just lost my husband. Now I lost my father. I lost my mother a year and a half before that. Mm -hmm. I was just like, please give me a freaking break. I was just like, you know, it was emotional beyond belief. But I missed that cue completely. And it was because I was so focused on the emotional side of the grieving not the intuitive side.
1: Mm -hmm. There's a lot of emotional, big emotional side to work through.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: I want to get into what both of you referred to even before we got on the air today as the sisterhood of being a widow. And so I've interviewed, you know, several widows on this show. And I think what's so hard about it and what's so hard about different types of grief in general is finding your people finding the ones who, you know, you walk into a room and you're like, yeah, we get it. You don't even have to introduce yourself or really get too far into your story before people are like, yeah, we're here and we, we get that. Um, so I kind of want to shift into how each of you found your own sisterhoods, including finding each other and finding uh, the third leg of the Wonder Widows, and also how you've developed it into the Wonder Widows, how you, how you made it a thing that was kind of bigger than the three of you.
1: Great. Um, I had, this is Peggy, and my neighbor is Trisha's daughter, her grown daughter, Raina. And Raina and I had become friends, and uh, one day I was uh, doing a teaching in my home about natural healing and health, and um, especially essential oils. And I had invited Raina, and she asked if she could bring her mother. Oh, my mother loves things like that. May I bring And I said, of course, it's great. I could meet a new person. So Trish came and we hit it off. And then a couple weeks later, I think it was just a few weeks later, um, Trish texted me and said, can you get some particular essential oils over to Raina's house? And Raina would get them to Trish because Trish wanted to use them on Bob, who was starting to have some stomach problems. And um, then, as you've heard in our conversations Bob passed away and I knew that Trish was now part of this club that we don't volunteer for. And um, so I invited her to lunch a couple times, I think into a movie and we spent a little bit of time together. And one day we were conversing and all of a sudden we blurted out the same moment. I'm going to write a book (laughs) about this experience. And then we looked at each other and said, Well, let's write it together. So we decided we would get together at my house. And uh, Trish asked if she could bring her friend Jennifer, who is our third author. And because she knew that she had been through Jennifer's process of losing her husband about a year before you. Actually, it was quite a few
2: years before me. Uh, But she was also the one that was younger. Yeah. And she, I think she has um, a year or two on you. She does. Yeah. Yeah. And she was uh, pregnant with her second child. That's right. six months pregnant
1: when she lost her husband. And it was Christmas.
2: Yes, he so, did. He died on Christmas Eve. Yeah. She, as Jennifer will say in her little Texas accent, she'll say, well, at least it wasn't on
1: Christmas Day. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I so love it. the three of us, in fact, we invited a, a, another fr- a friend of mine, too, who could just recently become a widow and we had been friends for a long time. So there were for a time, four of us sitting around the round table. And one reason we feel I have a big round diamond room table. One reason we feel the round table is significant is that all people sitting around table have the same uh, value, the same weight in our conversation, and our sharing. And um, we would, Share, you know, and we would laugh together and cry together. And we knew that as we were telling our stories, the people in the room understood what we were saying. If not the exact detail, then certainly the emotions, the feelings, and some of the struggle, and some of the joys, and some of the victories um, at mastering small things to keep ourselves going and moving toward. Reconnecting with joy and recreating a new way to have joy in our lives.
2: And I'd like to add to that too. Is that and that's Trish talking? Yes, that's Matt. Yes, it is. It is. It is I. It is I, (laughs) Trish. It is I. Yes. (laughs) Now I can't remember what it was. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) um, Actually, uh, it was through our uh, casual meetings. And both with Peggy and I also thinking about the book concept, you know, it took us a while to formulate these questions because being that we were in such an informal um, environment together, uh, the four of us at that time, we were able to just say, hey, hey, does anybody ever have, you know, thoughts about, you know, do you still
1: wear a wedding ring? Yeah, what do you do about this?
2: Yeah, um, what'd you do, um, did you ever feel like you needed to hire somebody up to help with certain things in the household? And then, of course, there would be a story about this. And then there would be um,
1: another question somebody else would have in the room and how say... About, how about this story? This is Peggy. How about... Did you ever feel like you were going crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and We all understood. Oh, yeah. What that you know, felt we're like. all going. God, yeah. Felt like I a so fog many. for months.
2: And, yeah. You know, after that, and then Peggy says, "Yeah, that's cool. you know we that, call that brain fog." And and then we all went, "Yeah." I mean, I always remember sure, yeah. Jennifer's favorite story because yes. now she's got a newborn baby, and she has the baby strapped to her to her chest. You know how those wraps that you sure. put the baby yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. On yeah. Her chest. yeah. And so she said uh, one day she was sitting on the couch and she started to cry. And Hayden, her son, I think he's about he was about four at that time, um, says, "Mama, why are you crying?" And she goes, "I don't know what I did with Charlie Ann. and her I've baby. Lost the baby. I've lost I lost the, the
1: baby. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and and then she says, Now all of a sudden Hayden started laughing at her." And then she's going, What, <laughs> Hayden? And she was like, Do I smack him or do I just tell him what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's not a funny situation. Dust lost the baby. You know? <laughs> and he goes, Mama, it's strapped. Charlie Ann's okay. She's right there. And she looked down. And she said, Oh, that's right. The baby, <laughs> the baby is just sleeping on my chest and I didn't even realize it. And that is such a real visceral effect. Of grief.
0: That's like an amplified version of "I can't find my phone, but it's in my butt pocket," Uh or "I can't find my glasses, but they're on top of my head." Oh yes, Uh, it's it's. But on a, I lost my child level, but you really didn't. She's strapped to you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. They were they were packing up to go to the park, and she had packed everything, but then couldn't find the baby on the way out the door. And then, then, so we cried and laughed. With her yes we did yeah
2: we really did and and those are the kind of stories that were being shared and then um, as each person would write a story, uh, a question uh, or have a question I would write it down mm-hmm. and when we started recording the questions and to help you know refresh our memories and so forth but we covered such a wide range of subjects mm-hmm. and um, and then that's when we started to realize one day when Peggy said something that was quite profound, and Peggy, please correct me if I don't say it just like you did in the book, you know, it says in, in so many words, it's, you know, when the flowers dry up and die and, you know, and all the friends and family have gone home, now what? It's that is what we all share in that moment, you know, because we do, we've got our loving friends, our family and, and so forth and all of the well-wishers and the people that want to hold us and. You know, and say all just the right things and, and, and express their sentiments from the
1: heart. And just be present. And just be present. Mm-hmm. They're gone mm-hmm. one they, day. People go home. They go to their lives. Yeah. And, and so, the beautiful flower arrangements finally dry up and die and start to stink. And you have to get rid of them. And then, and then you're there by yourself. And, and, then, and what?
2: then what? Yeah. And that was a kind of a turning point for the book. And, and that's when we went, you know what? if we're all feeling this way, we got to believe that more widows feel the same way we do, you know, that they do feel that isolation. They do feel alone. And, and, and it's something in society that people just don't want to talk about. And I am a writer. And then that was what makes us interesting. I was talking to a writing writer, a peer of mine in the writing business. And, um, and she says, well, who is going to want to hear about stories of widows? (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, um, hmm." um, she says, well, what can you offer the widow? And I just looked at her and I said, inspiration to Mm -hmm. move on, to get on with life, to re-experience that joy that was once there inside of all of us.
1: I think one of the big, this is Peggy. I think one of the biggest things that our experiences in our book Our honesty in our book offers is encouragement for women to embrace the totality of the grief process. Because, as all three of us here now know, and many listeners know, within the healthy grief process, there are some, a lot of tears, there's some laughter. There are some ups, there are some downs. It's not a linear process. We go forward some and then we go backwards some. And some days we feel great and like, oh my gosh, I'm really coming along well. And, and then maybe even the next day without knowing why or how we were triggered, we're back in our closet crying. And maybe over time for shorter and shorter periods of time, we experience the sadness. But still, I I... I'm hoping, we're hoping that through our experiences in the book, people will come to recognize that the grief process is part of being human. It's part of the human experience. And um, we have a choice as to how we handle it. And it doesn't mean that we have to stay in a place of sadness or depression or feeling foggy-minded. There are ways and um, maybe a little methods that we can use to help ourselves, um, reconnect with the joy of living.
2: After all, we're still living. Yes. And we are the ones that still choose how we
1: decide we're going to move forward. Yes. And one of my mantras, probably within a month or so of Dan's death was Dan died. I didn't. I'm still living and I aim to get back to enjoying life for myself and for our sons. Yes, and mine was always you can't drive forward looking
2: in the rearview mirror. True. That's true. And and uh, it's just like that to me is always what kept me going and it says, you know, this is today. Mm-hmm. I always would say to myself as well. This is today. Yeah. This is now. And what happened happened. Yeah. Exactly. And that's <laughs> what helped keep me grounded. And the turning point for me was realizing that I knew the greatest power, healing power in the universe was love. Mm-hmm. And, and love I, didn't die. And love didn't die, no. but I sure wasn't feeling it either. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yes. well, and, but I knew this. you see, mm-hmm. I knew that it was love you know, that was going to get me through this. Mm-hmm. And it was on Thanksgiving for me that actually the first Thanksgiving after Bob had passed away in mm-hmm. August. It was August 21st and, uh, four years ago, as a matter of fact, just this past Tuesday and, uh, you may, oh, never mind. So, you know, I shouldn't have dated that, but, um, that he did pass away. And it was on that Thanksgiving when I was watching my daughter's side of the family all get together. And my, um, my daughter's mother-in-law was also a widow that had just became a widow in January before Bob had passed in August. And, um, and I just watched the whole family coming together. She had her family right there. I just had my daughter and I watched the love that was, you know, being shared and passed around. It was Thanksgiving. You know, we all felt grateful Mm -hmm. for being there. Mm -hmm. And I just remember looking around in the room and I went, oh my, you know, I said, if I want to feel love, I want to feel this love again. Mm -hmm. And I knew in that moment, that was the time I primed the pump and got it going. And that was when I started expressing my love for my family and my gratitude um, for for everything I did have. Instead of instead of grieving over what I didn't have, mm-hmm. exactly, it was a choice of flipping that over to the other side. Right. You know, and these are the things that we want to be able to share, Mm -hmm. you know, with other widows.
1: Shelby, I'm thinking this is very much how our roundtable discussions went. One of us would be talking and sharing her story and the other ones would be nodding our heads and saying, yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I understand.
2: (laughs) But that's how this this is just like, Shelby, you're just a part of that.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, Yes, I feel uh, I'm at the table.
2: Aha! Uh-huh. exactly and we would so invite you anytime to sit at our table
0: <laughs> i love it i'm excited to move now into where we will actually be together in person which will be at the bereavement cruise 2019 next march uh, i've got Couple listeners signed up so far to come on the boat with all of us, but I'm so excited oh, for all of you listening. There's still space. There's still staterooms. We would love to have you. Would love to meet you, Peggy, Trish, and I all together. Um, can you go into the workshop that you're going to be leading on board, as well as what your previous experience is, if any, with the bereavement cruise?
1: We. This is Peggy. We. This will be our first bereavement cruise. Woohoo! Yeah, so Yay. we're all first-timers. We are, and we're all learning the ropes as we go along, and um, Trish is going to begin to introduce, them, and then I'll jump in here about our workshop. Sure, thank you. Um, the, the,
2: the two of the three of us, Wonder Widows, um, Jennifer is unable to be with us uh, due to, it's during the school year, mm. and her children are still quite young. Um, but, uh, Peggy and I will be there and we're going to be presenting a workshop aboard the Oasis of the Seas on March 3rd through the 10th. And, uh, the intent of our book is to break the isolation and silence of widowhood. And it's based on our book, Wonder Widows, the three widows coming together to empower women to break the silence of widowhood.
1: And this is Peggy, our workshop is centered on the realization that each individual will experience the grief process differently according to her relationship to the deceased, her beliefs, her needs, and her support system. And rather than approach our presentation from the angle of expertise, of our being the experts, we offer camaraderie, heart, and an emotionally safe and comfortable space to share and become inspired to allow healthy grieving and a joyful recreation of life. We will offer a variety of healthy self-nurturing techniques in the interactive part of our presentation.
2: And so we do invite widows to join us and their supportive friends and family and um, to be in attendance um, on the cruise itself. And, And some people go, well, why would I want family and friends? And that's because in order to break the silence and isolation, there needs to be an open dialogue of exchange between the widows community and the mainstream community. And what better person can help bridge that gap than supportive friends and family who care? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and you know, and I'd like to also uh bring up how this whole thing came up about Wonder Widows in the first place. We never did get back to that. I mm-hmm. Is it okay if we just mention that story real quickly?
0: yeah, roll right in
2: all right we were as a matter of fact, we had on occasion a couple of meetings at my house, and this yes. happened there as a matter of fact and and we were talking about you know who we were, uh you know how do we feel because we're we're putting this together is to be an inspiration right right? and we're all standing around my table at this time i I guess we were getting ready to leave Uh we're getting close to it right and we all at the same time put our hands on our hips around you know our waist area and that's when peggy says we are the wonder widows and it's stuck
1: (laughs) (laughs) it was neat because it was a reminder to us that we were resurfacing that we were um, not um, encouraging each other to sit in our misery and stay in our misery. You know, that that was just a part of the process and that there were also very empowering moments. Very empowering. And we were focusing on that
2: because we really do want to make sure that, you know, we're coming across to, uh, you know, the isolated widow or to somebody who is grieving, uh, you know, that, we're here to help inspire to so they can grow into their empowering moment right. to start to feel that life surging again and inside to recognize of them. that the grief process
1: is a growth process
2: process. Yes, absolutely.
0: I think that's so important and I'm so excited for the workshop that you're leading because such a big part in grief and being a griever, I'm sure you can sympathize with this as well. You you look to the stories of others not as please tell me how to live my life. But as are you creating a space where I can come into? Are you creating a conversation where, it, like you all say, I'm welcome at the table. And I think that's really important. And it's it's kind of fitting for the whole theme of the bereavement cruise, but especially to specialize in widowhood, which has its own unique set of, of challenges and emotions and an array of i mean new identities to take on essentially um is really powerful and it's so important that you say too that this is open to family and friends of widows because this is very similar to like minority groups here in America's so we can do all the work that we possibly can among ourselves women's groups can do all the the work we possibly can within women's groups but what really gets us connected to each other is having conversations with what you would call quote unquote the other the people who are outside of the circle who are not who are not yet widows or who are not women so women right on. cross the bridge and talk to men and and vice versa men come into the women's circle and say how do I do this and uh and in the same case with widowhood as well it's we do as much work as we can amongst ourselves and get the answers and and do you still wear the wedding bands and the guidance and you know how do I handle finances and things like that but but outside of that there's There's a support system of all these people around us who haven't had the thing happen to us, but can help us through having had the thing happen to us. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. It really does. I I think that's so important and I think it's so powerful. Um, Really quickly, I ask every guest before we wrap up on the show, if you could point to one resource, whether it's a book or a blog or a speaker or even a quotation that helped you come back from your loss. The title of the podcast is Coming Back, so I always ask what helped you come back. Um, I'd love to know from each of you another resource that our listeners could use today, aside from your book, which is obviously going to be very high uh, on my list of recommendations today.
1: Well, this is Peggy. Shelby, that's a little bit tough because there were so many things. I mean, if I uh, had been a younger woman and hadn't developed a lot of these, what I call tricks in my bag, Um, I might have been relying on one or another more heavily, but I had so many that I'd accumulated and developed through the years that it was, uh, you know, whatever work today I was going to do, whether it was, um, I'm been a massage therapist for over 20 years. And of course I knew the value of, of human touch. So massage, Reiki, um, um, meditation, um, essential oils, um, Um, connecting with spirit, um, a lot of different, you know, listening to music or staying away from certain music that could be a trigger. You know, we, we each learn what's going to help us feel better. So there was quite a variety, I would have to say, in my case. And one of the things that did help me, as I mentioned earlier, was just realizing very pragmatically that I was not the one who died. I still had life in front of me and I still had that gift of life to enjoy as much as I could. And I feel like that's one way that I can honor Dan is to live my life the best I can. And uh, this is Trish. The,
2: uh, I, it's funny. Peggy and I have never really truly discussed this or asked, answered this question in front of each other as in detail as we are right now. But it's amazingly, again, there's another striking similarity here (laughs) because I'm also a Reiki master teacher. I've been a holistic practitioner. I teach stress reduction. I teach um, meditation or mindfulness meditation. And I've been doing this for over 35 years. It's funny. I had never put that together until it came time to write out our biography Mm -hmm. for the cruise. And I was just like, "Wow! It had wow. It's been a long time. I haven't
1: been sitting around <laughs> doing nothing all these years." <laughs>
2: exactly. So you know, I had this wonderful group of supportive friends as well. You mm-hmm. know, and I also incorporated the steps that I teach and I practice. You know, which is uh, this is what really turned me around was the steps. There's actually five of them, and uh, one of them is I created a statement of intent. I started my forgiveness. Oh my gosh! Did I start the forgiveness? Um, that was this is none of these were walks in the park. Trust me, <laughs> I mean there was good days, not so good days, you know. But I kept it up, and and of course gratitude, having gratitude for being alive, having gratitude for my family, for my friends, and if I couldn't think of a darn thing on a really crappy day, I would just go, I'm grateful for the sun shining, and just that was it. (laughs) But Hey, it has to come with feeling. And that's what I used. And I was like, yes, I am grateful. Fortunately, we live in a a state that has sunshine more than 300 days a year. So that was an easy one for me. But the other one was also love. Again, I had to keep forefront of my mind. I'm alive. I have a choice. Yes, I choose to love. And to me, that was one of the most important things. And then, of course, the last thing I did was, you know, this also was creating new memories, you mm-hmm. know, and it was making a conscious effort to do that. So a lot of what I did was journal, mm-hmm. meditate, did Reiki, and none of that came immediately. I want to be able to say how important that is, because really in the very beginning stages, yeah. I could give a rip about any You're of surviving. that. Seriously, I'm not make. I make myself sound like I'm walking on water, which I wasn't by any means. Oh, I
1: can tell you, she's not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that there were so many things that I incorporated as well. But I, you know, these are all changes that I've made throughout my life too. That mm-hmm. I was able to finally put into practice, right. Mm-hmm. Right. and um, and all the healing had taken place, and you know, with what I've uh, that I've learned over the years, and it was quite cathartic. And every year I knew I was feeling better when I would sit down and do my journal writing on Bob's uh, date of his death. Mm -hmm. Um, Every year I wrote how much I had grown, how much I had changed, what I've learned, what I've experienced from that year in that 365 days.
1: And I do that every year. And this is Peggy again. Uh, Shelby, one of the things we've talked about is that we wrote the book. We began the book two and a half years ago. And as we go back through the book, as we were doing our edits, we would look at the part, portion that we wrote individually, and we'd think, oh my gosh, I've come a long way since I wrote that. There, there are, all along the way, there are shifts. There will be a shift that occurs, and it's almost imperceptible. Um, it's maybe a very slight feeling, but there were days when I'd say, oh, I know something shifted, and I would feel a little bit different about it. And as Trish said, it's very important. I think all of us agreed as we were sitting around the table that we, we weren't denying the challenge or the pain or the loneliness, uh, but we also would then bring ourselves to focus on what we had rather than what we did not have anymore. Um, And we would keep our focus on what we were grateful to still have. And
2: I'd like to also say, this is Trisha again, one more thing I had um, actually wanted to share with her listeners. And um, I don't hold that grief as I once did. And instead, I hold love in my heart. And I'll always hold Bob's love in my heart. Mm -hmm. My children's love my grandchildren's love, my good friends. I hold humanity in my heart. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And the more I hold, the more I have to give. And again, the more I give, the more I can receive. And to me, it's our heartbeat.
1: It's our heart beating is to experience receiving love, and sharing our love mm-hmm. and that's what makes the world go around I think that's this is Peggy again this is it's a real basic thing you touched on um, being able to receive and give love is a very basic very core need of a human being
2: it's in all of our na- yeah. natures right. every one of us and um, and that's what we need to remember you know especially when we're in, in times of grief right you know, that there really is a healing nature within each of us. And that's the love. It's within our hearts and it's a part of our inner being. That doesn't change. Our circumstances change, but yes. the love doesn't change.
0: That's so perfect. And I, I have no other notes to add. That just seems like a perfect way to close our conversation today. Uh, so Peggy, Trish, yeah. thank you so much for coming on, coming back today. I almost want to sign you off with like a like a superhero theme song, <laughs> like a da da da, da 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 It's the Wonder Widows. Uh, thank, thank you so well. much for joining us today. This was so much fun and and such a great insight into the power of sisterhood in the darkest moments of our lives, and also in our own power to accept the invitation to become. A greater container for that love so thank you both
2: Shelby thank you so much for having us on your show and I just want to tell you and your listeners you know how much we love you all
0: Yes, thank you Shelby so that is all for this episode of coming back Thank you so much to Trish and to Peggy for joining me on coming back this week and reminding us of the power of finding our people in the midst of grief. Peggy came back by reminding herself that she still had the gift of life to live. Trish came back by creating her own five steps to healing, including forgiveness and gratitude, and by saying, yes, I choose to love. You can find a link to the Wonder Widow's website where you can find out more about their forthcoming book in the show notes. Get live grief support from me this coming Monday, October 22nd at 8 o'clock p.m. Central on my monthly hour-long Google Hangout. This is open for the very first time to all Patreon patrons, so I hope you'll pledge and join me there. Receive a week's worth of grief healing and workshops in the Western Caribbean on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise. You can request more information for free at comingbackcruise.com. If this show has changed the way you see grief and loss, go to patreon.com slash Shelby for where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and get some very cool podcast rewards, including that Google Hangout for doing so. If you liked what you heard today, you can also support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and by telling a friend about coming back because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Mr. Addy Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at griefguideshelbyforsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing the space and time with you today. I see you, I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world, and I love you, because even through grief, we are growing.